Did you know that we can know the future? God is the only one who knows the future, and He's revealed much of it through His Word. So we can only truly know the future through studying Bible prophecy, and that's exactly what we're going to do in this series. The study of the end times is called eschatology, and it reveals how God will work His purposes out in bringing all things to their final destiny. Bible prophecy is future history, and so it reveals God's nature, power, and glory, just as much as Bible history does through the record of God's previous interactions with mankind. Since Bible prophecy is just as much God's word as Bible history, we can be sure that all that the Bible predicts will come to pass. The fact that much Bible prophecy has already been fulfilled adds to our confidence that the rest of it will be fulfilled also. So get ready for an exciting trip into the future. Eschatology is a very large part of the Bible, almost a third. This means that it must be very important to God and very, very relevant to our lives. It's not a side issue purely for those who specialize in it, as many seem to think. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. All scripture is inspired by God, and a great deal of scripture is about Bible prophecy. So the fact that God inspired so much prophetic scripture must mean that it has great importance and great benefit for our lives, and that God expects us to study it diligently. Since it's a big subject, it means we've got a lot of ground to cover in this series of messages. We need to study this subject systematically to see how all the scriptures fit together and agree perfectly in presenting a vision of the future. One of the greatest things that Bible prophecy will do for us is to reveal and exalt the Lord Jesus Christ and cause us to glorify God. Revelation 19.10 tells us, Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So the spirit of prophecy is to testify to Jesus, so that we worship him as God. Jesus is the central figure of prophecy, so studying it will reveal more of Jesus to us and inspire us in our lives. We know a lot about Jesus from what he did in the past, so likewise we'll learn a lot about Jesus from what he'll do in the future. Prophecy gives us a bigger picture of God. It reveals his wisdom, power and sovereignty. Despite all the suffering and evil going on in the world around us, God is working out his purposes, fulfilling his promises and covenants and establishing his kingdom overall. He isn't making it up as he's going along. He knows the end from the beginning, so we're not to be overly disturbed by events, because we know where history is going. Through Bible prophecy, God reveals the future. He unveils the future. This makes it a very exciting subject, which glorifies God. Isaiah 46, 9 and 10 says, Remember the former things, long past, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things which have not yet been done, saying, My purpose will be established, and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. God declares ahead of time what he's going to do. So when it comes to pass, this proves that he is sovereign over all. 
Only God can declare the end from the beginning, for he alone is the eternal I am, the Alpha and Omega, existing outside time and seeing all things as present. Therefore, the many prophecies that have already been fulfilled are a major proof that the Bible is indeed the Word of God. Everything that God does in the past, present, and future is connected. What he began in Genesis, he will bring to perfect fulfillment in Revelation. If we don't understand Bible prophecy, we will have a very limited knowledge of God's purposes, for it reveals the ultimate destiny of all things. It gives us the big picture and the overall perspective by which we can understand what God is doing and where history is heading. Thus everything in the past and the present only makes sense in the light of Bible prophecy. Bible prophecy also inspires hope. Now hope is our vision and confident expectation for the future based on God's word. 1 Corinthians 13.13 names three essential attributes that we must have. But now faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But the greatest of these is love. Of course, we need to be strong in love and faith, but it's also important for us to be strong in hope. Often hope is treated as being less important. But we need Bible hope. Without it, we are lacking in one of the three essential spiritual attributes, and it's the study of Bible prophecy that builds our hope. Hope is not wishful thinking. It's what we know will happen based on God's promises. This hope covers, protects, and directs our minds and thoughts, holding us steady in the fight and keeping us on course through life. This is why 1 Thessalonians 5.8 commands us to put on hope, the hope of salvation, as a helmet. We put on this helmet by studying Bible prophecy, which will cover our minds with hope from God's word. Looking through the visor of the helmet of hope causes us to be focused on what God is doing in the world, so that we see things from his perspective. This also protects us from the negative thoughts that come from focusing on the darkness of this world. There are two aspects of hope. First, there's the hope for our personal life, that God's promises will come to pass in our own lives. Then there is the bigger aspect of hope on the bigger scale of what's going to happen in this world, where this world is heading, and what is the ultimate destiny of all things. It's Bible prophecy that gives us this hope. It protects our mind and anchors and stabilizes our soul, especially when we're sailing through the stormy waters of troubled times. As Hebrews 6.19 says, This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast. Here, our soul is compared to a ship. If it is anchored by hope to the promises of God, then even in the storms of wind and waves, we will remain strong, stable and steady and not be shipwrecked. While everything is being shaken around us, Hebrews 12.28 describes the difference that hope makes. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. The words of Bible prophecy also give us comfort, peace, and assurance for the future. After talking about our hope for the rapture, it says in 1 Thessalonians 4.18, Therefore comfort one another with these words. 
Some people think Bible prophecy is just for the specialists and fanatics who don't study anything else, and so they think they're better off focusing on practical teachings rather than on Bible prophecy. However, this is a false distinction because a healthy dose of Bible prophecy is very practical for your life. It will put something in you that nothing else will. And I trust that through this series, you will become greatly strengthened in your spiritual life. God emphasized the importance of Bible prophecy by making the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, a book entirely devoted to end-time prophecy. He further underlined the importance of this book by its starting and finishing verses. Revelation 1.3 says, Blessed is he who reads, and those who hear the words of this prophecy, and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. This is the only book where God promises a blessing to, for those who read, hear, and keep it. So there must be a special blessing connected with the study of Bible prophecy. The very last words of Revelation is chapter 22, verse 18 and 19, and they say, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in this book. It's hard to imagine how God could have used stronger language to emphasize the importance of this book of prophecy, yet how many people just avoid reading it. These verses also declare that this is the end of the Bible, that the word of God is now complete with the book of Revelation, so nothing more can be added to it. So if any cult or religion comes along and claims that its writings are also the word of God, you can safely reject these claims whether it be the Quran, or the writings of Ellen White, or the Book of Mormon, or other writings by Joseph Smith, or the traditions of popes and church councils. These claims are false according to these final verses of Revelation, which make it clear that the Bible was completed with the Book of Revelation. God gives strong warnings that those who add to Scripture will come under a curse. The common factor with all these groups who add extra writings to scripture is that these other writings introduce a different way of salvation than that revealed in the Bible, which is through trusting in Christ alone. These other groups use the extra writings to twist the Bible and change the gospel so that salvation is made to be dependent on works, which usually include membership of and conformity to the cult in question. The Bible said that those who trust in their own works are under a curse. Thus the main danger of adding to scripture is that these other writings will turn you away from the true way of salvation to another way that actually is no way. They will turn you away from the true gospel to another gospel that is no gospel from the simplicity of the gospel of grace and faith in Jesus Christ to the complexity of a man-made religious system where you can never be quite sure of your salvation. This will keep you in bondage to this other gospel through fear. If God finishes revelation by saying that if anyone adds to or takes away from its words then he will add curse and take away blessing then it's clear that God is not happy with us messing with this book. In other words, it is important, and we need to take it as it is, in its plain literal meaning. 
If we take away the plain meaning and instead add spiritualized meanings to its words, then we are ignoring the warning of its final verses. Bible prophecy also adds to our mental health, for it gives us the big picture, the grand scheme, the panoramic view of God's purposes. You see, we can get so involved in our own little problems that we tend to get a very self-centered view of the world. We get so caught up in our small world that we lose perspective and we get overwhelmed with small things and so we lose the bigger vision of how God is working all things out to fulfill his eternal purpose. Bible prophecy is healthy for us for it expands our vision and understanding of the bigger picture enabling us to see things through God's eyes. Bible prophecy magnifies our view of God as Lord over all, which helps us to trust him to work all the things in our life for our good. Romans 8.28 says, We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. In bad situations, turn to Romans 8.28 and declare that God is working this problem for your good. God didn't cause the bad thing to happen, but he's well able to turn it around for your good. Bible prophecy helps us to see our lives as a meaningful part of this bigger picture of what God is doing and bringing forth, enabling us to believe that he's working all things together for our good. Bible prophecy gives focus to our lives today. Understanding God's overall plan gives us wisdom to guide our lives today and the causes to which we give ourselves. It helps us not to be self-centered, but to get involved in something bigger than ourselves. It gives us direction so that we flow with his purposes for this time, and it keeps us from wasting time on things with no eternal value. If we don't understand what God is doing in the bigger picture, we will tend to give ourselves to the wrong things and to waste a big part of our life. So Bible prophecy is very practical in giving us wisdom to guide our lives. Studying Bible prophecy heightens our awareness of the times and seasons, especially that Jesus is coming soon. The soon return of the Lord is a major point that I want to emphasize in this series. I believe that we have a lot of good evidence that we are living very near the end of the church age and that Jesus will return in our lifetimes. Studying prophecy will give us the realization that any time soon Jesus is going to return and that we're going to stand before him and give an account of how we have lived and we will receive rewards for our faithfulness. This realization will be a major motivation for us to live a life pleasing to God and to make it count with a fruitful ministry of fulfilling the Great Commission for the present time is short. It'll move us up to a higher gear in our lives with the Lord. So this series will bring this hope alive in a way that will energize your life in the Lord. It will confirm that we are now living in the end times very near to the close of the age. It will motivate you to take every opportunity that comes your way to share the gospel, for we need to make the best of the short time we have. It's a privilege to live in the end times. We're in a relay race, and we've been chosen to run the last lap. The baton has been handed to us. We must be aware of our special calling to live in these days and to run our race to the max without being distracted and pulled off course, and Bible prophecy will equip us to do this. 
Jesus has not returned yet because the harvest of the church age is not yet complete. He wants as many people as possible to be saved, and that's why we're here, to bring the gospel to them, which is the power of God unto salvation. Bible prophecy helps us to understand that our purpose is not to take over the world and Christianize it, as Dominion theology teaches, but rather to reap a final soul harvest before the Lord returns. Bible prophecy also provides strong warnings for the lost in the light of the Lord's imminent return. This world is not going to carry on as it is forever. It has a very limited time left, and God is giving the lost the opportunity now to hear the gospel and to turn to God, but soon it will be too late. This should stimulate us to witness to them, to warn them, and to win them. In this series, I want to give you the major keys or tools by which you can interpret and understand Bible prophecy correctly, and so avoid the main errors that are, that are commonly made. The first key is the foundational principle for all Bible interpretation. Interpret Bible prophecy literally, according to its plain meaning. This is the fundamental issue to settle. As with all Bible interpretation, the only safe method is to take it in its plain meaning according to the laws of language. This might seem obvious, but most of the wrong interpretations of prophecy originate from violating this fundamental principle. For some reason, people have felt free to ignore this basic rule in the area of Bible prophecy far more than they would ever dare to do in other areas of Bible study. They ignore the plain obvious meaning and substitute it with some fanciful meaning of their own invention which fits best with their way of thinking. So rather than submitting to the Bible, they submit the Bible to their own reason and imagination. The result is the many different prophetic viewpoints around today. The, the variety of viewpoints is not because the Bible is unclear about what it says about the future, but because of the many different methods of interpreting it. Once you abandon literal interpretation as the fundamental principle, you can make the Bible mean whatever you want it to mean. But if you apply the principle of literal interpretation rigorously and systematically, as we will aim to do, then you will find that all the Bible prophecies make perfect sense and agree together perfectly in a single coherent vision of the future. This principle has far-reaching consequences governing our whole approach to prophecy, and if we stay true to it, we will not go far wrong, for it keeps us in submission to the Word of God. To the extent that we stray from, from this principle, we open the door to man's thoughts coming in and replacing God's thoughts. Literal interpretation requires us to understand the meaning of words and sentences as they would have been understood by the original hearers in their historical context. Thus, it is also called the grammatical historical principle. It also requires us to read any passage in context, so that our understanding of it must fit with what comes before and after. Moreover, since we believe the whole Bible together forms the complete Word of God, our interpretation must also agree with the rest of Scripture. This is how we are to read all literature, which is why it is called the principle of literal interpretation. 
that is, according to the laws of reading literature generally. Now this seems obvious, but sadly Bible prophecy has suffered much abuse in church history by those who have ignored this basic principle. For some reason, they felt justified to treat prophecy as a special case, requiring a different method of interpretation. An allegorical approach took over after the first few centuries, and the church began to spiritualize all kinds of things, rather than to take the Bible literally. And that's how a lot of errors and confusion got in. This baggage from church history is the cause of most disagreements over prophecy. 500 years ago, the Protestant reformers called the church back to the Bible alone as the final authority for our faith and practice. They also said that we should take scripture literally, according to its plain meaning. In other words, we should receive and submit to the word of God as it is, and not try and change its plain meaning by substituting other meanings of our own invention and spiritual imagination. By this approach of restoring literal interpretation, the reformers rediscovered the wonderful truth that is the heart of the gospel, that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that it is through trusting in Christ alone that we're saved, and not by our works. But sadly, the reformers made an exception to using literal interpretation in the case of Bible prophecy. They simply adopted the same approach to prophecy as the Roman Catholics did, which came from their great theologian, Augustine, who had endorsed a spiritual allegorical approach to the prophetic scriptures. For example, Revelation 20 says that Christ will return and reign for a thousand years. This thousand-year reign of Christ is called the millennium. Now, do we take that literally? For the first few centuries, the church took it literally. And why not, if that's what the Bible says? But Augustine said, no, a literal physical kingdom on earth doesn't sound very spiritual. It must be a picture or allegory of the church age. Christ won't really reign physically and personally on earth for a thousand years. So he rejected the plain meaning of the Bible, and this led to the rest of the prophetic scriptures being abused in a similar way. So Augustine allegorized these prophecies, and the reformers did not change that or correct that. Thus the historic Protestant churches tend to have the same approach to prophecy as the Catholics. They don't take it literally, and so they don't study it much because they don't think it gives much definite information about the future. It just gives symbolic descriptions of the church age. Basically, it reduces prophecy to the fact that Jesus will return one day and usher us into eternity. And that's all that there is to say. So we might as well focus on other subjects. This is how prophecy became a non-subject, but this does not do justice to what the Bible has to say about the subject. However, since about 200 years ago, as the church approached the end times, there's been a great revival of interest in Bible prophecy through people daring to interpret it literally. They discovered that when you do this, it makes sense and comes to life. The prophetic scriptures have begun to be increasingly unsealed as the end of the age draws near, just as the Bible predicted. This is necessary, for a knowledge of Bible prophecy is essential for those living in the last days. Literal interpretation means upholding the plain meaning of the language of the prophecies. 
Opposing this method is the allegorical or spiritualizing approach, which allows the interpreter to change the obvious meaning of a prophecy to fit his preconceived ideas, even when its plain meaning makes perfect sense. Literal interpretation does not mean that we cannot see spiritual parallels to the literal fulfillment or make spiritual applications of it, but first of all it upholds the literal fulfillment of the prophecy. Literal interpretation does not deny that Bible prophecy uses symbolic language. In fact, it allows for obvious symbolic language of which the Bible is full because spiritual realities must be symbolized by their natural counterparts. For example, wind and water are symbols of the Holy Spirit. How else can God teach us spiritual realities except by comparing them to what we already know, their corresponding natural reality? For example, sowing and reaping. So God often uses natural illustrations for spiritual things. In fact, all kinds of literature uses symbolism and literal interpretation takes this into account. How can we tell when it's symbolic? The guiding principle is, if the plain sense makes sense, seek no other sense. If, on the other hand, it's clear nonsense, then it should be taken as a symbol. For instance, if I say it's raining cats and dogs outside, you should know that I'm using a symbol to make my speech more visual and interesting. It simply does not make any sense if it is raining literal cats and dogs. So taking it literally does not mean taking it literalistically. Likewise, when Jesus said, I'm the door, you know he wasn't claiming to be a rectangular piece of wood. We know when a person is using a symbolic figure of speech, because otherwise it would make no sense. We instinctively apply this basic rule of language in all our hearing and reading, and so it should also apply to our Bible study. Why do we use symbols? First, it adds interest because images create pictures in our mind. Second, a picture is worth a thousand words. When Jesus said, I'm the bread of life, he said in a few words what would otherwise take pages of text to fully explain. So, literal interpretation takes obvious symbols into account. Another thing it allows for is typology or spiritual applications. There's only one literal meaning, but there might be many applications. The important point is that these applications do not negate the literal fulfillment. Let's look at one example of the spiritual application of scripture in typology, the story of Abraham offering up Isaac on Mount Moriah in Genesis 22. This is a picture or type and shadow of the father offering up his son, Jesus, on Mount Moriah. But notice that the fact that this picture was fulfilled in Jesus doesn't negate the fact that Abraham actually and literally offered up Isaac on Mount Moriah. In fact, the fulfillment rests on the fact that the type literally happened. So Genesis 22 records what literally took place, but by God's design it also includes a spiritual application to Jesus Christ. Thus, if we insist on upholding the literal interpretation of a scripture, this does not prevent us from making spiritual applications.